Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com. Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab podcast, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Each week, we want to bring you an insightful interview on a specific topic in board game design to help you design and create games people love. And now, here's your host, Gabe Barrett. What's up, my friends? Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab. Today, we're getting wordy, talking about word games. What makes a good word game? And we're talking to Lori Love and Leah Valachi from People for Goldfish. Ladies, welcome to the show. Hi, Thank you. So glad that you're here. And this is an episode I haven't done before. When y'all reached out to me about coming on the show, I was so excited because I haven't done a show about word games at this point, 200 and something episodes and never talked about words. And uh, yeah, we're just pumped to kind of get y'all's insight about how do you create one of these games? What does the design process look like? The publishing process look like? you got a game called Word Hustle. It's on Kickstarter right now that y'all have been working on for quite some time. So I'm really just interested into understanding a little bit better how word games come together. But before we get into that, let's talk about how y'all got into game design and working together and all that kind of thing. And uh, Lori, why don't you uh, lead us off? Sure. Well, we're honored to be the first word game on the podcast. And uh, that's, I guess, big shoes to step into. But uh, we got into game design about nine months ago. So it feels fairly recently. And um, it was because of something that happened on New Year's Eve, actually, where I took out a game to play with my son. And sometimes this particular son can fumble things and uh, be a little klutzy. And he actually opened the box and lost one of the pieces immediately. Uh, and so he took it upon himself at that time to make up a game that we could play with the with the rest of the pieces that were in the game box. And for me, it was an incredible moment because I, for some reason, hadn't realized that I had been making up games for a long time, my whole life, whenever I could. And I never really thought about doing it with game pieces or for a tabletop game until that incident happened. Uh, And it was suddenly like one of those moments in a rom-com where the couple that's just friends and have been looking at other love interests, you know, finally realize that they're actually supposed to be together. That's what happened to me when, when my son lost that piece. I was like oh, I think I've been supposed to be designing games. So it was really um, transformative. And as soon as that happened, I knew that I had to try. And I called Leah and she joined me in the endeavor. Very cool. And so Leah, tell me about that conversation where Lori was like, hey, we need to design (laughs) games together. Because I know just from talking to y'all before we hit record, y'all been friends for quite some time. Y'all in some ways grew up together. And so Leah, tell me what like conversation was like. Yeah, so there's definitely more to just the phone call. Um, Lori and I have been friends, I mean, since our teens. And one of the things that was always a part of our friendship and our dynamic was, you know, games and fun. I mean, whether it was scavenger hunts or card games or, you know, anywhere we went, there was a game with us. And we were always kind of inventing fun in that way. And so I was in a different career place. Um, prior, you know, to this all starting, um, being in graphic design and magazine publishing. And um, I would say timing was kind of right when Lori made that call. And it was uh, time for a pivot for me. And it was the right pivot. I mean, how could you not take a pivot with your best friend to, you know, design a game? 
and uh, we really didn't know what the game was going to be at that point, but we knew we were going to find it. And um, one of the best things about Lori's and my working together relationship is that we're opposites. I mean, like human nature, opposites attract, and we really play off of each other well in designing and in our friendship. And so I knew when I got that call from Lori, like, let's try this, let's try this venture. Um, I was like, yeah, I'm all in. Very cool. Now I've talked to so many co-design teams and people working together in publishing and designing and whatnot. And typically they say we had an idea for a game and then we started working (laughs) together, but it sounds like y'all were like, we want to work together. And then you came up with the game. And so how did you decide, (laughs) let's, let's make a word game. Like where did that come from? <laughs> well, actually, I fought Leah hard on making a word game. <laughs> so um, we, we we had some ideas for the feeling that we wanted people to have when they played a game. Actually, we threw out other business ideas besides a game company early in the year, too. But we landed quickly on games and it, w- it just was right. I could tell it was right from the start. But uh, we knew we wanted people to feel relaxed and for the feeling they had when they were playing our game to harken back to a time when they maybe had less responsibilities in their life. So I was envisioning games um, that maybe would bring people back to times when they were younger. And um, and when Leah brought up the idea for a word game, I'm like, well, that, yeah, I don't know. I'm like, that sounds a little bit like it might be less fun and relaxing and it might be stressful for people to, you know, you know, exercise their abilities in English. And so I fought her a little bit on the word game. So uh, when we finally decided on games and then Leah suggested the word game, we did have some discussion about how well that would fit our mission before we embarked on it. Uh, Leah really had to convince me by showing me some of the early mechanics. And then when I saw those mechanics, I knew that there was something to the game already and we just kept, um, kept going with it. So um, something Lori just mentioned there was uh, that our goal was to find um, fun and in nostalgia. And for me, uh, when I brought up the idea of a word game, it's because word games always were that childhood fun for me, that nostalgia. It's something I always did with my family. Um, And so, you know, it, it was a very word games equaled like relaxation and summer fun and um, that was why not only do I love word games, I always have. I mean, it's my go-to. Um, but I was excited to bring that nostalgia of word games to other people, to everyone, you know, to say, I want everyone to love word games as much as I do. And my first mission was convincing Lori to love word games. <laughs> so <laughs> Yeah. Um, I just want to say we we wanted to make sure all of our games were really accessible to all types of people. And I was afraid that a word game would be limiting. So one of our early discussions was about, you know, how Leah played word games with her nephews and if it worked well and if we could make it work well. And so this opposite part of our personalities really played out to create a word game first off, and also a game that was accessible to different skill levels, different ages, had a a definite strong element of fun in it Um, and we just made sure that both of our requirements for the game were met and and so really you know our opposite personalities uh, served this game well 
Very cool. Okay, I want to dive a little bit more into word games in a minute. But first, I'm curious about the name of your company. So People for Goldfish is uh, a little different than the typical, you know, just naming it after your last, you're using your last names or, or whatever. So first of all, which one of y'all came up with the name? And then tell me what that even means, People for Goldfish. So I came up with the name and it was something someone had said in passing about how there were goldfish shaped crackers for people and there should probably be people shaped flakes for goldfish. To me, that was one of the funniest things I had heard. And so I told Leah about it and she also thought it was hysterical. So we thought people for goldfish, it would be a great name. It would be memorable and funny. Um, People would laugh along with us. And what happened actually is that I don't think everyone sees the humor in it that we do. So (laughs) it's an inside joke now. Um, So I hope people aren't confused or disappointed by the name. We still love it. We still think it's really funny, but uh, it's just not as funny to everyone as we thought it would be yeah what i guess the the really the point of a brand or a logo or a company name is to be memorable and so if it stands out and people remember it and then they ask you about it or talk about it well i guess you've kind of done your job so that works out all right so let's dive into word games now leah this was kind of your brainchild initially and thinking through all right i want to design a word game and so let's get a good little like like work working definition what exactly is a word game? Because, you know, lots of games have words. Lots of games have, have cards with words on them and all those things. But what makes a, a game a specifically word game? I would have to say a word game would be a game that works with, first of all, the alphabet and forming words. Um, and so your game components add to that function. Um, I'm going to let Lori jump in here because I'm really not answering this correctly. No, so. I think... I think it's interesting about word games because the um, the category is expanding now, right? We have the traditional games like Boggle and Scrabble, and I'm not sure if we can count Bananagrams as traditional yet. I'm not sure, but um, we have those games. And then we have, you know, the code names and the types of games that require you to use language, but not necessarily to build words. So uh, the, the category is actively growing and what makes a word game is being redefined. I think one of the things I would use to define a word game would be the fact that you sort of come to the table, you, you bring your existing scoring mechanism almost in your mind, you bring this asset of resources with you. And so it's how you use your knowledge of language in a game that helps you score. For me, that might be a catch all that could incorporate code names along with Scrabble. Um, And of course, I think that, you know, others would have you know, other things that they would add to the definition. But for for me, I like to think of it in those terms. Very cool. And it makes a lot of sense. Now, earlier, y'all talked about nostalgia, and that's kind of one of the catalysts for designing this game. But Leo, why else? Why, why design a word game when you could design anything, right? Why specifically a word game for the one that you really put all your time and effort into? Okay. I mean, maybe this is not a direct connection, but I am one of those people that anytime I see a menu, anytime I see a flash across the TV screen, anytime I see, you know, um, a piece of paper down on the ground, I find a typo, like immediately. (laughs) It's just, you know, it's something that happens to me all the time. I'm constantly spelling, I'm constantly seeing words. And I really believe that that comes from when I grew up with, you know, my Aunt Helen and playing Scrabble with her. 
So one of the reasons why we created a word game was because it had an existing scoring mechanism built in that people were familiar with. And that familiarity we knew would make it easier for people to sort of get into the game without having to have heavy rules. So people naturally understand, even though we created a scoring system to score a crossword grid, that's actually one of my favorite parts of Word Hustle um, and, and completely unique unique, one of the things we know and we knew about word games was that uh, people would understand what they were supposed to do right away and it wouldn't be so foreign to them. So it had a familiarity that was really great. And all we had to do was bring novelty to make it fun. And I think the mashup of familiarity and novelty is just what we want in a game so that people can settle into it quickly, but also be surprised by it. Gotcha. You know, I remember my mom, you know, she told me all these stories about growing up, how she played Scrabble constantly. And my mom's pretty smart. She was valedictorian at her high school when she, you know, the year she graduated, very smart lady and would just crush people at Scrabble to the point where they didn't want to play with her anymore. And like, no, it's not fun. Like you're just going to win. Like, let's go do something where other people have a chance. And so she just loves Scrabble. And I feel like there's a lot of people out there in a similar situation where they grew up on these kinds of games and now they're wanting to share that experience with other people. And so I can, I can see how a word game would be a really interesting way to have a, like a cross-generational kind of situation uh, where lots of different people, lots of different age groups can come together and, and play a, a game that, you know, everybody enjoys. And it kind of harkens back to, you know, the way people grew up. And so let's get into like the challenges of that, because you can only go so far on nostalgia, right? The game also has to be good. It has to be fun. It has to you know hit on certain beats and, and be a certain uh, level for people to actually want to play it and, instead of you know, playing Scrabble, you know, you have to give them something different. And so let's talk about maybe some of the biggest challenges y'all have run into and just kind of see where that goes. So Leah, what are, what are some of the struggles y'all have run into as far as putting one of these kinds of games together? You know, I think to reconnect to what you just said, I think one of the big challenges is all the preconceived notions that people come into, um, when they play our game from their previous experience with the word games, they just know, you know, uh, uh, for example, you know, the, the big ones, uh, Scrabble, Bananagrams. And so they come into our game thinking that it's either going to have the same uh, scoring or you're going to need to use your letters in the same way or that you're going to follow that rule set. And I think it's just because it's very ingrained in your mind of that's how you play a word game. And um, that was a big design challenge to try to show how our game was different. So yeah, the, I would add we, the way we score in our game is by word length and you build crossword grids and you score each of the words in the grid depending on how many letter tiles are in the word. And um, we just had a recent play test where one of the players tried to make words within those words. So they were scoring, say they were writing the word reader, for example, they would score themselves for the seven or six, six points in reader. And then they'd also try and score for R-E-A-D, read, with four points. And so that was just a preconceived notion that we assumed came out of Boggle, where you were making many words amongst the different stretches of the letters. So, you know, there are a lot of assumptions that we were working against um, when we designed it. And we didn't know that these assumptions existed until we started playtesting. Another one that came up all the time was that uh, people wanted to have their tiles be private, face down. And um, they would constantly ask us, 
whether or not they should be face down. And in our game, actually, it serves you to see your opponent's letters and for there not to be secrecy because you need to assess the strength of their letter set while you're playing the game. And you need to decide if you need to sort of disable their ability to keep scoring big during the game. So uh, it would break the game if people hid their letters, which were they were inclined to do. So we actually had to... Um, first put it in the rules until we had a, a better prototype that was double-sided. And then we had to design to eliminate these questions and this, uh, again, assumption that people were making. And so we actually chose, I, maybe we're one of the only word games that has double-sided letter tiles. We chose that intentionally to just take one or two more lines out of the rule book and make sure people didn't try to hide information that was critical to the gameplay. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I could see where people would bring so many preconceived notions and then just assume that your game is very similar to these other word games that they played. And actually, let's let's do a little bit of a dive into some of those other games, especially for people listening to this, maybe you want to design their own word game or something similar. Like what would be, what, what are some of y'all's favorites and why? Like what, you've mentioned Bananagrams, you mentioned Boggle. Uh, there's also Upwards. There's so many of these word games. What are some of the ones that y'all love? And then like what about them makes them so good? Lori, why don't you start off? So I just want to start with Scrabble because it does seem like the grandmother and grandfather of of the word games. And I, you know, I did love Scrabble when I was younger and then it, I just, it fell out of favor with me. So um, I think that, that there was a reason for that. And that was one of the reasons why, you know, I had a hard time with getting on board with designing a word game initially, but, you know, there are games that I still love. And one of them is Probe. I'm not sure. Are you familiar with that one, Gabe? It's, no, I've never uh, heard of that one. So Probe is an older one also. And it has hidden information. So players create their personal words and they hide them. And then you slowly take turns guessing letters of directly to a player until you reveal more and more of your word. And anyone can solve your word at any time as long as they, you know, have enough information to do so and there's just something about it you know I think it was one of the early hidden information games that I had played and it also was a word game so you got to be clever while you were playing it so right now probe is an an oldie and I still love it um so I would say probe is one of my favorites gotcha and Leah what about you what are some of your favorite word games and why so uh, my favorite word game would have to be the all-time classic Scrabble. And again, just to repeat what I said earlier, it's it some of that is nostalgia, but some of that is also just, you know, who I played Scrabble with. Uh, some of, even though Scrabble has very specific rules where, you know, you have your letter tiles, you have to work with your letter tiles against what other people um, have put on the board. I, I really, I enjoy that dynamic. And it was also, in a way, Scrabble always felt very open-ended to me because, you know, when we would play Scrabble, we would uh, make up like themed Scrabble or, or we would play, you know, like... Um, summer scrabble or you know we scrabble was like kind of just a a starter for fun for us and um yeah that that's definitely my favorite word game makes a lot of sense i mean scrabble is so simple honestly to teach i mean it's, it's literally like one page of rules if that and it's, it's very easy for people to grasp and you can just kind of jump right in uh, and then leading into one of my favorite word games of all time upwards which is effectively scrabble 2.0 because now you can stack letters on top of other people's letters and then score points. And that was just a very basic change that created a, a different game. 
Um, so let's, let's talk about some of the other ones, though. Lori, you, you, you mentioned um, Boggle. You mentioned Bananagrams. Let's do like just a brief synopsis of some of these other games to kind of get a feel for what other designers have come up with. So, well, there have been some um, good ones that came out fairly recently, I think, maybe within the last six years, uh, were Domination, which uses a little bit of the boggle mechanic, but makes it sort of territorial where you have to earn your letters and keep other people from earning letters. Um, there are uh, paperback and hardback by Tim Fowers, which are excellent and incorporate some other mechanics that are in the uh in the hobby world that I think helps to marry the uh, sort of familiar Scrabble mechanic with the, well, I'd say they're also familiar, but deck building, maybe less mainstream mechanics like deck building. So those are all really wonderful. And, um, you know, there are new ones coming out all the time. I think people do love to play with words, Um, but those are some of the recent ones that are really great. Right. I, uh, I think it's called Wordsy, which is a great game from Gilhova. came out several years ago. It's another one for people to check out. Uh, you mentioned the boggle mechanic. What is the boggle mechanic? Uh, I think it's where you're looking amongst a set of letters to find a word, and those letters are static. They sit in one spot, and then you pick from among them to make make a word, um, and that you're playing off of uh, the same set of letters as your opponents. So instead of working with personal sets, as, as actually we do in Word Hustle, um, and I guess as you do in Bananagrams, in, in Boggle and in, in uh, Word Domination, they, the letters sit in front of you and you form words amongst them. Very cool. All right. So let's talk about word hustle a little bit. So I'm assuming it's a massive challenge to separate your word game from all these other amazing games, especially some of these you know really well-known games. And so Leah, when you were figuring out word hustle, what were you thinking as far as that challenge of, okay, how do I make sure this game is different enough to actually have a place in the marketplace? Um, so I think we were looking for like a perfect pace for our game and also scoring that would be different. Um, and we also like we had said a little bit earlier, was we wanted a game that was accessible for more than just the wordsmith. Um, You know, a lot of people have a love-hate relationship with word games, and we wanted to make a word game that people really enjoyed playing, not just because it had, like, familiar components like Scrabble with letter tiles, but because there w- we added strategy into it and to, to kind of achieve that fun through the familiarity, but adding in strategy and challenge. Gotcha. Okay, so Lori, what are some of the other challenges that y'all ran into? Yeah, so one of the challenges for our particular game was how to create a, a crossword grid and score it because the words are interlocked, right? So, and word games are dependent, and particular word games that build words are dependent on spelling. And when you create a crossword grid, if you misspell one word, does the entire grid fall apart? So one of the challenges for, you know, our particular game was coming up with a way to score words that wasn't reliant on um, each tile or each letter being worth points. And, um, that could be scored as a, in, it's in, in its entirety as a grid. Uh, so we find that it's kind of hard to create a scoring mechanism that doesn't over uh, favor someone who maybe has a really strong vocabulary. And uh, by working with word length, we found that to be a solution. So I think, you know, 
creating an accessible game is one of the challenges of word games where people aren't intimidated that they're going to come and that they're, you know, all of their abilities and with the language are going to be tested, but that they can actually come in and enjoy themselves and play and it feels like play. And I'd second what Leah said that one of the elements of of solving that too, of making it feel like play was keeping it quick and, and, you know, within three rounds, you've sort of had a really good time and you've also been really impressed with what you've been able to do with that time. Um, so, you know, scoring is an interesting challenge that we had with word games. One other thing is uh, that language is always evolving. So, you know, we uh, rely on a dictionary, as do many word games, to verify words. And currently, we're struggling with the issue of how to address acronyms in our rules. So acronyms have become so common that they're considered words. For instance, FOMO, uh, you know, it's not even said F-O-M-O anymore. You know, F-O-M-O, fear of missing out, is actually an acronym. But we use it so often in language today that it, um, you know, we sound it out as if it's a word and it's now considered a slang term. And so, you know, building a game around a sort of an existing system in the world that moves is is definitely challenging. You know, with the acronyms, we have to come up with a way to address FOMO, which is, sounds like a real word and has been adapted as slang, or something like OMG, where you're actually saying all the letters, but it's still so common in the language that um, many people f- consider it a word. So writing, uh, you know, rules to address the movement in the English language is definitely a challenge for word games. Yeah, that's a really good point. And something, if you're going to design a word game, you got to figure that out. You have to decide, okay, how do we determine what are words and what aren't? And maybe you come out with an expansion down the road that, you know, acronyms are words or something like you can, I'm sure, find some really interesting ways to overcome that design challenge. You mentioned scoring, and I can see how scoring is, is one of the main things you got to figure out because that's kind of the whole whole game. It's, it's putting letters together so you get points. And so who came up with the scoring system? And tell me kind of how that all came together. Well, it's actually kind of interesting the way the scoring came about. From the beginning, knew we did not want to have points on each letter tile. Um, we knew it was going to be we wanted a different scoring mechanism. And so we chose word length. Um, and I'm not really sure which of us chose that, Lori. I think we kind of came up with that together. But I think the important piece was how to score each of the word lengths. So in our game, a two-letter word is two points, a three-letter word is three points, but a four-letter word is now five points. Um, a five-letter word is seven points. A six-letter word is Uh, nine points, and then a seven-letter word is 20 points. So as you progressively make longer words, you're rewarded for that with higher points. So you have an incentive to make longer words. Um, And that actually was inspired by one of our playtesters and um, being my father. (laughs) And so um, once we came up with that, it was like the magic bullet for the game. Um, it made so much sense to, because we realized that if we did not put that um, change in between word length with the number, the amount of points, then there was no incentive to make longer words. You could just keep, uh, it actually made more sense to make shorter words at some points 
Right, Lori? Do you want to follow with that? Yeah. And I just, you know, the seven letter limit on scoring, so you can make an eight letter word, but it's still worth 20 points, is really critical to keeping the game accessible so that, um, you know, amazing uh, spelling bee champs uh, can't overtake the game with, you know, a 12 letter word. But we, um, so we really have liked and, and other people have liked the relief of having pressure to make enormous words with our seven letter um, cap on scoring, you can make bigger words still worth 20 points. And um, yeah, it was sort of uh, one of the great ideas that came from one of our play tests, but when we kept developing it, we landed on, you know, just the right number of points. And also we really had to solve uh, the possibility that people would be overpenalized if one of their words was misspelled. So um, we had to just keep working out the penalties that didn't erase all of the effort you did in creating your grid in the first place. So by scoring each grid, you were able to evaluate each player's performance and feel good about what you've created. So it's an internal game and sort of an external competition. Um, And so we wanted to make sure that one misspelled word didn't erase everything that was done and made during a person's uh, turn. It's it's real time where you build grids at the same time. So really during the uh, phase of the round where players are building, we wanted to make sure that we allowed the scoring to score other words, even if one was misspelled. And that was a combination of sort of three main rules that helped us do that. And I would just like to add to that. I think this is um, just like a little bit of a funny story in the design process for Lori and I. We say we tried to design so that the wordsmiths are not and don't have that <laughs> advantage. I came into the game design process of designing a word game not necessarily as like the number one wordsmith, but I was very competitive about it, you know, and it that was a big learning process for me because Lori had to remind me, you know, Leah, not everyone is... Um, looking to not everyone comes into playing a word game feeling that way or with necessarily that skill level and I'm not saying that in a negative way I'm just saying that um you know there are the love or hate people with word games and as we were designing Lori would have to remind me Lori do you want to jump in here how you had to remind me because I'm kind of losing my train of thought but I I think you know where I'm going with this yeah I mean you know we have we both have Leah and I both have children and so we wanted to be able to play this game with children and um, so we wanted to create a strategic game and there's still a ton of strategy and thinking about word parts and how you can make longer words quickly uh, that's there and those you know strategic elements are really accessible to you know kids they you know can use prefixes and suffixes quickly and it's a, a chance for them to sort of think more about word parts, but still be in play while they're doing it. Um, And so making it something that was accessible by using word length also allowed us to play with our families, um, play with my husband who didn't love Scrabble or didn't love other word games until, and he started playing this and started really seeing how he could beat me. And um, so we've enjoyed that part of the process of thinking about scoring in a way that both lets people make great words, have the tactile satisfaction of working with their letter tiles and creating this, you know, amazing, beautiful grid, um, and still be able to score in a way where players have um, equal chances. 
Very cool. I love that y'all went a different direction with scoring than kind of the easy you know, way that most games do it, where you just have the number on the tile based on how difficult that letter is to get into certain words. You know, an X is going to have a different number than an A because obviously there's more words with A's than X's. I, I think that's one way to do it, but a lot of people have already done that. So what does it look like to create a different system? I love that y'all use more of a ticket to ride system where you get points based on the number of, of tiles and you know, kind of like Ticket to Ride where you have the number of trains and the more trains you have and then a route, you, you get points and it goes up with a very interesting scale and you're incentivized to have longer routes. You're incentivized in your game to have longer words and it's nice to be rewarded for having uh, longer words. And so all right, in, in a lot of that, you were talking about time. You're talking about, you know, you want to be able to play with younger kids, but also older people. And that's, that's a challenging thing because, you know, attention spans are what they are, especially nowadays. And so tell me about the challenge of making a game that fit into a, a certain time range where it would be fun and, and not overstay its welcome. I feel like Scrabble, that's kind of, it, it feels that way now. Scrabble takes a while to play and maybe it's not as fun towards the end after you've been playing for a while. And so, uh, Lori, why don't you take this one? Tell me about the time challenge and really making sure the game you know, was the right amount of time for the right amount of players. Yeah, so we tried many different lengths, um, and I think different word games actually do it differently. You mentioned Wordsy. I think they might, Wordsy has something like nine rounds, or um, but we tried nine rounds ourselves. We tried five rounds, and we really landed on three rounds of word building. So there are three phases um, in each round, and three rounds. So there's a one word building round in phase in each round. Uh, and that ended up being the sweet spot. And we did just a lot of playtesting and gamers of all abilities, levels, ages of all ex- levels of experience with hobby games versus mainstream games, they actually all prefer the three rounds. So um, we're really happy with that length. It ends up getting a good response from people where they say things to us like it's quick clever, fun. I play it again. Um, and we, we love that we've kind of hit on that, but it did take some work because we just wanted to try out all the different possibilities and, um, see what felt right. And I think maybe each word game will have its particular, its own particular sweet spot, depending what's on what's involved. But for us, we have the dice rolling phase and then the word building phase and the reviewing and scoring phase. And it just flows. Um, three rounds is perfect. It's not too much. It's just enough. Okay. So I can see one potential challenge in that, you know, a lot of people get analysis paralysis with these kinds of games because they want to make sure they find the best word to maximize the points. And so they'll just sit there and stare at their tiles unless you incentivize them to move faster in some way. And I know some games they'll have like a sand timer or, or things like that. And so, Leah, what did y'all have to figure out? Like, did you have an issue with people just taking way too long to make their words? And and if so, like, how did you uh, overcome that? Well, if you get back to the name of our game, Word Hustle, it actually um, was something we uh, incorporated into the game was timing. Um, So as you're building we're very happy that you're thoughtfully building. Um, and so there's this nice calm pace where everyone has their own personal set and they can build, but there is a sand timer 
And so any at any point during that building round, one of the players can call a hustle on the other players. So they can say, hustle done, and they can flip the timer, and now everyone has one minute. So we were very happy with that because we struck a balance between having that calm pace. Um, and again, I don't want to disparage any other games, but one of the things we were looking for was to try to eliminate any frantic quality um, in our game. And uh, we feel like we achieved that by giving the building time, but then also adding the excitement of, you know, that, that last one minute to get your building in. And one minute really is enough time to do something with the tiles that you have left if you are being hustled. So we felt like it wouldn't be frustrating for the opponents who didn't turn the timer to finish up and still make a great grid, but they didn't have unlimited time to make many seven letter words and really blow away the uh, other opponents. So it really, it keeps the game on track uh, to be a 20 to 30 minute game. Um, but it still allows people enough time to do what they most want to do, which is make great words. Um, one of the things we see is that people really love moving their letter tiles around. And if we didn't give them a time limit, they would just keep doing it. Uh, it's almost this, you know, natural impulse that people have when they're given a letter set is to just sort of see what they can make. So uh, not only, you know, is there the pressure to score, but people just enjoy creating words. So giving the using the timer strategically, but also just using the timer to keep things moving has worked out really well for us. Gotcha. Okay. So when it comes to player count, you know, a lot of word games honestly could have infinite number of players because a lot of times they're, it's kind of multiplayer solitaire where you've got your letters, but you know, you don't really necessarily affect a board in the middle or you don't affect other players. And so tell me about your game as far as like player count and maybe did you try it with a whole bunch of people and it was just too long or too many and tell me kind of how you figured out the, the sweet spot for the number of players. Lori, why don't you take this one? Yeah, so um, player count is, it's one to four players. And actually, we love that it's also one player because there's a really great solo mode. But um, the player count being set at four was partially because there's a real-time element when you're building your words, but there's also a turn-based phase, which is the rolling phase. And um, we thought it would just take too long if there were more than four players for each player to take their rolling turn. Rolling turns are quick, and they're how you actually acquire new tiles into your set. One of the challenges of in Word Hustle, actually, the main challenge is seeing new words amongst the letter set that you have. Um, but each round you have to make new words. So um, you get a little help and you can score more points each round when you roll your dice to acquire new tiles. But because that part of the game is turn-based, uh, we thought it could just get a little cumbersome if people, if there were many players. And um, we considered giving everyone dice at the same so they could also real-time roll, but it was too confusing. And your roles actually affect other players, so it, it actually wouldn't have worked for the game itself. You can uh, steal a tile after earning a, a steal through your roles. You can um, share tiles, so all players' well, personal letter sets are growing via a share if you've rolled it. So um, really, it, it, we had to have turns during the rolling phase, and we just wanted to keep keep the game's time on track. So did I answer your question, Gabe? Yeah, all good. Leah, do you want to add anything? Um, I would say also, I think as far as the maximum number of players being four, it had to do with the number of tiles that we have. And, you know, our letter distribution 
was uh, a very specific choice. Um, and so, you know, we landed on the 112 tiles. Um, and, you know, if you we were to go up, let's say, even to six players during those three rounds, we may not have had enough tiles left in the bag by the end of the third round. Um, Lori, would you agree with that? Yeah, definitely. That was definitely a consideration. Uh, in developing the game. And even just when we're thinking about manufacturing, we have to keep in mind that ladder tiles are one of the more expensive components. So, you know, just from the fact that we've created a publishing company and we want to really, you know, think about our future in the industry, we had to make sure that the game was compact, travel friendly, the time to play was short. And also, you know, we could afford to make it at and, and produce it at a price that people would like to buy it for right that's something definitely to keep in mind is how much does this thing cost to manufacture because you could have five or six or eight or ten players in there but then you have to have components in the box that are going to make it more expensive to uh, create and to print and all that but also more expensive to ship because as the box gets heavier it gets more expensive to put it into the mail and so definitely something to uh, to just think about from a publishing side even if you're not going to publish the game yourself it's something to think about if you're going to pitch it to other publishers because they're immediately going to be thinking about, okay, how much is this going to cost? Because they're going to immediately think about the dollars and cents of the entire thing. All right. So any other challenges that you ran into that you really want to bring up, Lori? So, you know, one of the challenges that we wanted people to find the game welcoming, you know, there's something about word games that it can be considered solvable, like as, you know, in chess is solvable. You have set of letters and you know that if you went to Google, you could probably type those in and come up with this amazing word that would fit your grid. So we wanted it to be something that was really, you know, a friendly game and that people weren't intimidated by the fact that it could look like a giant solvable riddle that they had to work out. And the way, you know, we personally solved that was by, um, using the timer and using the dice to incorporate luck. And so I think, you know, finding the balance between luck and strategy in a word game is a challenge and something that we've been really thoughtful about in developing the game. Gotcha. Lee, do you have any other challenges you want to add? You know, I would imagine that a lot of game designers can relate to this, but I think one of the big challenges for us was creating a set of rules that, uh, covered all of uh, the questions people might have when they come into the game of how to play, but also then designing so that once you played, you understand the game almost immediately. So um, making rules that were comprehensive enough without being intimidating. Yeah, that's a really good point. I feel like cognitive load is something to really be aware of with these kinds of games because, you know, you don't want it to feel like work. You don't want it to feel like uh, a kid playing the game. And he's like, oh, I feel like I'm back in school doing you know, a spelling test or something like that. that. That's not necessarily fun. And so what were some of the challenges y'all ran into as far as making sure players didn't get overwhelmed or there weren't just too many options or too many things to think about so the, the game would still, you know, remain enjoyable, remain fun, remain kind of light and easily accessible. How did you do that? So we were really thoughtful about that part. Um, we had to control the um, the number of choices on the dice. So some of our players were uh, at first intimidated by the number of dice. So 
we were inspired to make many dice and um, chunky dice for this game. And so we just sort of controlled the choices and laid out the um, gameplay on the dice card. So when you do roll the dice, you set them on the dice card and the dice card tells you everything you need to do um, to follow the outcomes that the dice have dictated. Um, And also in balancing the dice, we made sure that you only acquired a certain number of letters during your rolling turn. So you, you can get a range. It is, there is a little bit of luck and we've kind of controlled for the range through the balance of the dice. And so we've prevented what some players could experience as letter overwhelm by having too many letters in their set uh, through that mechanism as well. And I think also um, the challenge that came for us with the dice, not only, um, not con- well controlling the outcome and making sure the outcome was not going to favor one of the players but making sure that the symbols on the dice were understandable um yet still visually interesting and that was a big challenge for us and took quite a long time to develop and we ended up with very simple iconography but um it, there's it's very well intentioned Um, on each of the faces, you know, there's the draw. So you see a simple shape and, and really I credit a lot of this to Lori because she really had a vision of creating this minimal, beautiful, clean look um, while at the same time communicating the message very clearly. And so we have, so on, on the first face, there is the draw tile. So you, so it's a square that is indicative of our tiles. And you know, that means you're going to pull a tile from the bag. Um, There's the people on the face and that means that represents a share. So it means every person playing gets to take a tile from the bag. And then there's the um, boom explosion and that represents a steal. And so it means that a player can steal from another player. Okay. And so tell me a little bit more about the dice. Like, how do they work exactly in the game? Like, when do they come in? When do you roll them? How does this affect maybe the luck side of things? Because this, I think, is another way your game stands apart from so many others is, you know, most other word games don't have dice. (laughs) And so tell me how that came. Was that something from the beginning? And then, like, how does it work and all that kind of thing? Uh, that's a good question. It was not <laughs> at all from the beginning. Actually, there was an entirely other mechanic um, where you earned letter tiles, and it re- it was a dexterity mechanic. And we actually have another game we're hoping to use that dexterity um, component in. But we uh, it actually required you to stand up, which is just so silly now when we think about it. But you had to stand up to do this uh, activity to earn letter tiles, and we tried it that way for a while, and the um, um, player playtesters never really complained about that, but it just seemed so odd to both of us, and it was so cumbersome. We're like, you have all these lever, le- letter tiles here that could easily get knocked over, and then we're doing this dexterous movement on the side, um, and we just dropped that. It was a major part of the initial design, and it it just seems ridiculous to us now. But in looking to replace the dexterity component. Uh, we ended up on dice and fairly quickly. Uh, I just loved the dice from King of Tokyo. I knew that um, if we could use that to, as the way to incorporate some luck, but also a little bit of control of the outcome by multiple using multiple rolls to get what you want, um, we should. And so it was just a matter of figuring out how to make this work. And what we landed on was you have five 
dice and you roll them all at once and one of the dice locks initially. So that does a little bit to force certain outcomes that you might not want to force. So there's a little tension in your dice rolls when you're rolling as a player, but there's not a lot of tension for you. So you're really sort of gambling when you're rolling the dice and choosing to re-roll the remaining four dice um, up to two times to see if you can acquire the proper quantity uh, to get what you want. So in order to earn a steal from an opponent, we've made that the most difficult. You need three boom symbols face up at the end of your three rolls. And in order to earn tiles from the tile bag, you need a minimum of two, but for every additional die, you acquire an an additional tile draw. Um, So you could have a maximum of actually five tiles drawn from the bag if you're lucky enough to have rolled the tile symbol on your first roll with the locking die. Um, And then the tension comes a lot from the uh, share where there are some players that absolutely do not want to share. Um, And if you roll a set of two people symbols, then you get a tile, which is great. But um, every other player also gets a tile during your rolling turn. So, you know, we like the balance that in the, the feeling and the tension during the gameplay that the dice provide. The dice is sort of this luck, gambling, you know, hitting on 21 during blackjack feeling. And the building phase of the game is really zen where you're focused and concentrating. So it's just an entirely different sense of the game when you're playing and it balances each other out. So you're not constantly working hard to build something, but you're not also just rolling dice during the during the game it goes back and forth and the other piece to that is that um in most word games the reward is um the word that you create or the score you get and we do have that element in that once you build your grid you score your grid and so you have the reward of the points you earned but the the mechanic of the dice also adds in Um, that reward of earning tiles. So when you're in the dice rolling phase, you get that like excitement and that feeling of, oh, I earned these tiles so that I can now build a better grid. Um, And that was important to us that from the very beginning, that was one of the important things was how are people going to earn their tiles and um, how are they going to get that reward of earning the tiles as opposed to just, you know, randomly pulling them from a bag. Yeah, and I'd love to add um, that the dice offer the player interaction. So um, really, we had this from the very beginning, even when we were acquiring tiles via, you know, dexterity mechanic. We wanted people to have to share as in like a social event um, and have that type of interaction with each other. Even though some players do now consider the share a negative, we did want it to be like a social, like cheersing each other. Um, And then there's also the interaction of the steel where you're looking at each other's letter tiles. And instead of just playing side by side, you're considering each other's uh, strength of resources and you can um, really affect their game if you choose to take something from them. And we've had a lot of positive feedback from players who say that they like that there's that level of interaction in a word game and also i think um that that concept of thinking three steps ahead the same way you would in a game of chess we were able to incorporate that into the game through the dice rolling and also through the um steel so that you can say okay 
you look at other people's letter sets and you say, oh, I might need that so that I can make my grid better. Or when you're earning your letter tiles, you, um, and also Lori, we should talk about the draft at the beginning of the game, because that's another piece Mm -hmm. that connects into this. But, um, so you have some control over, uh, you use strategy and and you're able to see three steps ahead. And actually that's one of the things that um, some of the play testers had said they really liked about the game was that while you look at your first personal set that you have at the beginning of round one, um, you, you cannot repeat words in our game, Gabe. I don't know if we discussed that actually in each round. So if you create words in the first round, you cannot use those words again in the second or third round. So as you're working in that first round, you're seeing other words that you can use in uh, further rounds of the game. So it's like your mind is constantly thinking three steps ahead. Okay. Awesome. All right. You got a lot of stuff going on right here. Uh, yeah. Tell me, tell me a little bit about the draft. You mentioned that. How does that work in the game and kind of come together with everything else? So the letter draft in the game is something that we incorporated in. We didn't start with this, actually. It did evolve. We started with a just a random draw of seven letter tiles from the bag. And then we decided that we wanted players to have more control over their starting set. So the way it works is we have a player set out a center set of letter tiles and draft two at a time until the center set is empty. And the number of tiles that are in the center for the draft is determined by player count. So there are eight per player um, and you just multiply that by the player count and then you, you complete the draft to have your starting set. You would have drafted eight tiles at the end and then you'll choose which one that you like the least and you'll throw it back into the sack. All right, so your game has a lot of different things going on. You have different phases, different rounds, like all these different things. So tell me kind of the process and the challenge of bringing it all together and and kind of creating this one cohesive game that moves moves fluidly and moves smoothly into each each round and and kind of goes towards the end of the game. Everybody's understanding the game, having fun. Tell me kind of the challenge of that because you got a lot of stuff going on. So how did you make it all work together? So one of the things um, that we did was we created these uh, quick reference guides so that every player has the stages of the game in front of them while they're playing. We do find that after you play once, actually you remember the rules and the gameplay quite well. Uh, We wanted it to be something that you could play again without reading the rules. And we helped ourselves in that category by by creating quick reference guides so that people can just follow along and they can reference it easily for the process for a challenge of a misspelled word, or in our case, a reused word that was used in a former round could also be challenged. So all of that information is on the player aid. uh, So you don't ever have to look back at the rules. It does flow quite well. And it seems uh, maybe we're describing it in, a, in an interesting way, but um, it just seems natural because you want to keep increasing your scores each round. You know that when you finished building and scoring that you're ready to roll your dice to get more tiles. Awesome. Okay, so let's switch gears a little bit. Let's talk about publishing. Let's talk about you know the, the business side of, of these kinds of games. Uh, let's talk about, well, we talked a little bit about manufacturing earlier. Let's dive a little bit deeper into that. And so tell me some of the challenges, maybe some of the things you've run into as far as manufacturing and, and working with China, I assume you're know, working overseas and, and mm-hmm. getting everything to come together. 
to a, to a price point that people will actually be willing to pay for. Because I feel like you could have you know a million tiles in the game, but then it's going to be a hundred dollar game. It's like, well, that doesn't make sense. So tell me, kind of the things you've run into and, and uh, ways you've overcome these challenges. Leah, do you you want to take point on this one? Uh, sure. I, I think the first step was that we're first time publishers. And so we are learning this process from soup to nuts. Uh, so the first step was finding manufacturers and knowing who to call. And um, this is where Lori's researching skills really came in uh, key, like super key to us, because she was able to get into the BGG. She discovered the BGG forums and, um, you know, Facebook pages. And she just asked tons of questions and got a lot of contacts and it saved us, you know. Yeah, I just want to say we definitely had our homework cut out for us at the beginning. We, you know, didn't have the advantage or the pleasure of having been involved in the gaming industry for a really long time. And um, we're looking forward to, you know, attending cons when those are in session again. But uh, we we really wanted to do this right. And so we had to learn a lot and learn it really quickly. So we've been in school, except we are teaching ourselves via all of the free resources online. Um, And, you know, podcasts like yours are super helpful to us. So once we got to a place where we had our feet under us and we really understood as well as we possibly could the industry, um, we started reaching out to the publishers that seemed to, I mean, the, I'm sorry, the manufacturers that seemed to have the uh, reputation that we wanted. And we really started not only negotiating with them, but also thinking about how we can make our game in a way that would be just cost effective. So from the very start, we knew we just had to design for it to be affordable and not just affordable to us, but in, in, in the end, affordable to the the person purchasing the game. Okay, cool. And then from a marketing standpoint, what are y'all learning as far as how do you market one of these games? You know, what, what do you need to do? Who are you, Who's your target audience? How do you get the game out into the world so people find out about it? What are some of the things you're learning on that front? We've taken a real grassroots approach right now. And I mean, it's partially because of the pandemic that we've had to do that. So I have directly emailed people on the BGG forum who have been incredibly kind and um, open to talking with us. And we're not marketing it in that sense, but we're actually play testing in that way. Sorry, I should have said that. But um, so we're talking to them about the game and making sure that we know who our target market is because uh, play testing with enough variety in the types of play testers we've had has been an effort for us. And we've really had to come up with out of the box ways to do that, just given the state of the world right now. But um, so, so once we've reached all of the people we think will be interested in the game and had them play test, we've been able to narrow down the target market. And really, the target market is, um, you know, are people who love word games or live with someone who loves word games because this is a game that we you know purposely and intentionally designed to be uh, appealing and fun even for people who might not want to play a word game with someone they're 
you know, at home with now during quarantine. And so our target market is sort of this, this mishmash of people who enjoy words, but also might not, but love somebody who does and, you know, want to give something new a try. So that's sort of a very small, you know, subset of, of gamers. And if we find them, we'll be really happy. Um, you know, you know, we're definitely considering Kickstarter just because it's so, so popular with, um, the board game market now as a way to sort of reach people. And so we'll, we will be going to Kickstarter as sort of this first entree onto the internet with the game. Uh, and then we'll also think about using Facebook to reach those people who, you know, Facebook so adeptly identifies as, you know, loving word games or, you know, playing online word games and see if they like what we've put out there. Awesome. Leah, do you want to add anything as far as the, the business side of things or anything that someone that wanted to you know get into a word game or publishing a word game, anything that you feel like they should know? You know, I think the most important thing is to reach out to the community. The community is so incredibly welcoming, the board game community, and not just welcoming as far as making themselves accessible, but sharing their wealth of information and experience from us just reaching out to someone and saying, you know, how do we get the images to be the correct resolution that we need for the Kickstarter page to do you have a manufacturing recommendation? Um, and yeah, that would be the most important advice would be to reach out to the community. I mean, I actually didn't even realize how accessible it was until Lori said, yeah, I, I emailed this person and they answered me back immediately. And I thought to myself, wow, like, <laughs> I, I'm just, you know, it, you know, it again goes to Lori's and my opposite personalities. I'm very extroverted. Um, and so I tend to really enjoy just speaking to people in person and social, like not, not necessarily socializing, but getting what I need from somebody just through direct conversation. Um, and Lori's a little bit more of an introvert. And so I think she discovered that just through her natural instincts, you know, to just reach out to somebody uh, by email or through a website or through a forum, because uh, I think that's probably your comfort level, right, Lori? And yeah. <laughs> it's not necessarily my comfort level because I'm so used to being able to just talk directly to someone. So um, yeah, that's something I really learned in this process that, you know, put yourself out there, just reach out because generally you're probably going to get a response because this community is so incredibly welcoming. Yeah, I would second the fact that that the community is incredibly kind and welcoming. And that was one of the things we found out early and have really enjoyed. It just feels like a wonderful place to be with, you know, so many creative people willing to help each other out, willing to play test, um, willing to sort of find answers to the big questions like, how do we get this game made? And, you know, how can I make this game better? And, and doing it all together is really great. And we haven't, I, I mean, we just have had a really sort of eye-opening experience there and, and just seeing the best side of human nature in the gaming community. So I, I'm definitely glad Leah brought that up. Yeah, I definitely, definitely agree. Well, ladies, this has been excellent. As far as closing thoughts, what would y'all tell someone who's listening to this? Maybe they got an idea for a word game. Maybe they've been working on one. Maybe they're just, you know, bouncing around the idea of, of what one could be. What would you tell them? What kind of advice would you give them? Lori, why don't you go first? So I would definitely tell them, take your initial idea and get it right at the ta on the table right away. I think that that's 
pretty common advice now from game designers, but uh, we started with small ideas and we just tried them and we iterated on them and we kept iterating on them. And then we had all different types of people play test. And so that we could see, you know, their interpretations of what we were doing. Definitely any idea you have, um, bring it to the table and have people play your game for sure. Nice. And then Leah, any closing thoughts? Yeah, I, I would definitely follow up on what Lori just said is also to keep an open mind, you know, when you have your idea, don't just feel like, oh yeah, this is, this is the idea and it's done right here. Um, there are so many discoveries that you can make through this iterative process and you have to be willing to know that it can change daily. That's another thing that I learned, um, very early on. I'm very much like a, okay, we made the decision. It's done. But this process is not that way. You have to be able to be open to other people's interpretations of the rules, of the process, of the game. And I think if you go into it knowing that you have a good idea and being willing to take a risk on it, but also being able to be humble enough to know that someone else may have ways to help you out in um, propelling your idea forward more than you ever thought you could. Awesome. Well, y'all's game... Word Hustle is on Kickstarter right now. Lori, why don't you give me the uh, two-minute elevator pitch for that? So Word Hustle is an accessible word game that was intentionally designed for many ages and skill levels. And it lets you do what you want to do most with your letters, which is build great words. And we really enjoy seeing players have fun and um, give us great comments afterwards. Very cool. Well, ladies, really appreciate your time. Really appreciate y'all coming on the show. Good luck with the Kickstarter and Word Hustle and everything else you got going on right now. Thank you, Gabe. This was really fun. Thanks, Gabe. Thanks for listening. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com and find all sorts of game design resources, bonus material, and chances to win free games at boardgamedesignlab.com. And until next time, keep designing, keep playtesting, and keep creating great games. Did I mention keep playtesting?